chapter 5. Now, as you turn there, let's have a page number. Who's got a page number for us? 1166. Great. Somewhere around there. Ephesians chapter 5. I should be live now. Yeah, great. This is going to be one of the most irritating sermons you've ever heard. And it, uh, it may be the subject matter, but I don't think it's that. It's this thing in my throat that is going to irritate you the whole morning. <clears throat> as it does me. So, um, please forgive me. I'm going <clears> to <throat> clear my throat a thousand times. It's not by emphasis. I've got no, nothing in for anybody today. No one's being targeted. It's just <clears throat> I keep clearing my throat. But it is a tricky subject, as you can see, because today we're going to be talking about husbands and wives. I want to say straight away, don't leave. If I see any single people, there goes Abigail, but she's 13, so that's okay. But if I see any single people leaving, you will be ostracized and embarrassed, as we do at this church. And um, I want to say that this is not a talk on marriage. It's not a talk on marriage. This is not a marriage seminar that you've come to. Because if we're going to talk about marriage, we could say a lot, lot more. And in fact, I think we should. I think it's a it's a weakness in my pastoral ministry that um, we don't do enough marriage enrichment stuff and I'm feeling convicted as I was preparing this and we're going to do more Saturday morning here and evening there, stuff like that. But then again, I've only been married 17 years and Naomi's still learning. But when we get there, <coughs> um, then I'll give more talks on marriage. What we're going to do today is we are going to look at husbands and wives from the text of Ephesians 5. It's not a talk on marriage. It's an expository sermon on what the Holy Spirit says to us here in Ephesians chapter 5. That's what we're going to do. I just want to make that very clear. We're going to unpack what the Holy Spirit has written for us. So, I need His help. Let's pray and then we'll jump into it. Father, we want to come before you And your word. You are going to say things to us this morning that will challenge us. And and one of those things has to give way. Either we're going to bend your word and make your word bow to our ideas, to our culture, to our thinking. Or we're going to choose to bow before your word. One of those things will have to give way. Our prayer this morning is that you will soften our hard hearts. That it will be the latter. That every one of us, every one of us, men and women, will bow the knee before King Jesus and his word. We ask this for your glory, for your honour, And for our profound joy and fulfillment and happiness, because we think you know better. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read our passage for you this morning. Look at verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Those words come in a very particular context. Paul is writing this letter as the authorised spokesman of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. He's writing these words and he's not saying, you know what I think I'll talk about next? I think I'll talk about marriage. No, they come in a very particular context. The context of the book of Ephesians. But before I show you the context in which these words come, I want to show you a different context. I want to show you that everyone who's come here this morning, every one of you, have arrived in a particular context. You are, in Perth, you may know this, in 2012. You're in the Western world, culturally. And that means you're part of a massive social engineering project. You may not be aware of it. You may not know this. You may know it and may not agree with it. But it's happening fast all around us. You are part of a social engineering project. And I'm talking about the very deliberate strategy to undermine marriage. And you're part of it. I'm not saying you're contributing to it. You may. But I'm saying you're caught up in it. There is a deliberate strategy to undermine marriage. And it's not accidental. It's not, oh, it just so happens that's the way Western culture is going at the moment. I want to show you that it's deliberate. And I want to trace it quickly for you. Let me show you what's happened. Let me show you what happened very, very, very long ago. I doubt any of you would have been alive. I'm going all the way back to 1955. None of you would have been alive at that point. <clears throat> but there was a song that came out and it goes like this. You're going to laugh. These lyrics are preposterous. Love and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and a carriage. I mean, what a dumb idea. Let me tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. What society produces a song like that? <laughs> and not only produces a song like that, it wins, get this, it wins an Emmy Award. And for the record, he's talking about a boy and a girl, just for the record. Today our poets say something different. Our common poets, like a guy called who won the Emmy Award last year, Kanye West, he sings songs with lines like this, love is cursed by monogamy. That's a change. Or we have a lady who won an Emmy Award as well, called Lady Gaga, who sings Born This Way. And the whole song is that anything but a man and a woman in marriage is true love. Anything but that. Or, uh, but going back a bit, you have a band called Queen, who produces a song, We Are The Champions, the unofficial anthem for the gay a community. And of course you've got this genre of music called R&B and I really don't want to offend anyone but it's really just porn with a very bad soundtrack. How did we go from love and carriage I mean love and marriage <laughs> how, do, how did we go from that to what I've just outlined in 50 years? How did we do that in 50 years. I mean, that's breathtaking change. Let me tell you how it happened. Let me take you on a roller coaster journey quickly. First of all came the 60s. <clears throat> and you had the sex revolution. <clears throat> and the whole point behind the 60s is that sex became divorced from marriage. For the first time. 
Sex and marriage were no longer the same. It's totally different ideas, totally different concepts. Sex became independent of marriage. Sex became something for sex sake. It's its own thing. And it became idolized. And you had the birth, very early on, of the pornography industry. Playboy, uh, Larry Flint, all those kind of... It was a movement to divorce marriage and sex. They're not the same thing. At the same time, birth control became popularized. I'm not saying birth control is bad. But what it did, the, in, uh, the inevitable side effect of it, is that sex and responsibility were divorced. Now they don't go together. And sex and marriage and sex and children, all of those things became divorced. At the same time, you had the rise of psychosocial theories that gender is in fact a social construct. Gender, male, female, is not a category that God designed or created. In fact, it's a social construct which you can fiddle with and change if you want to. There's no designer behind it. It's up for grabs. So give the boy Barbie dolls and give the girl a machine gun and they'll be different. It's all just a social contract. There's nothing inherent about male and female. And I was reading an article this week. Did you know in Sweden there's a push to make men sit down when they go to the toilet? And the reason for that is because it's politically correct. When men stand to urinate, it is a sign of dominance over women. <coughs> When I was a look, no, let me not get sidetracked. Behind all that, there's a rise in America in particular of the individual as being the most important thing in society. During World War I, World War II, the individual's personal needs were sacrificed for the good of the community. Community was more important than individual. And it was just understood that, hey, as an individual, I have to make sacrifices for the better good of the community. That was in everyone's mind. That changed. And now it is expected that community will make sacrifices for the individual. Because the individual's choices are paramount. Alongside all of that came the feminist movement, which had good things to say, I want to say. But it also had bad things to say. One of the things it said was that marriage <coughs> is de facto the enslavement of women. That the nuclear family is a mechanism by which women's potential is completely eroded. I remember when I was uh, studying my undergraduate degree in social science, we had a, a lesbian feminist lecturer and we had to write assignment on assignment of how the family is destructive for a woman. That was the de facto belief. Alongside all of this was social engineering legislation. The lawmakers began to abolish the idea that you can have equal but different. That concept, equal but different, was abolished in law. What law began to say was that if it's different, it's unequal. Which is a logical... Well, not, let me not put my lawyer's hat on. But that happened. I'm just telling you it happened. And then, of course, you got the idea of marketing and economics behind all of this. Because what the marketers suddenly realized is, wait a minute, this is good for marketing. And they created this thing called a teenager. A teenager, folks, is a marketing construct. And they created the generation gap. Because if you can isolate the child from its parents, you can sell it things. Things, and you can market them which appeals to rebellion, self-expression, experimentation, at a time when they're vulnerable. And the parents had to stand back because there's this new thing called a teenager, which we haven't had for thousands of years. But now it is there, and you just got to back down, parents, because you don't understand. And alongside all of that, is a vociferous, energetic, never-tiring homosexual lobby which promotes its perverted lifestyle by undermining marriage. 
And we get to the point where two, three weeks ago, President Barack Obama stands up as the President of the United States of America and says, the time has come for me to affirm that I believe same-sex couples should be allowed to marry. And we've got our Prime Minister, who lives with her boyfriend, and we've got three bills before Parliament, all advocating for same-sex marriage in our society. We've come a long way between love and marriage. goes together like a horse and a carriage. can't have one without the other. Don't you think we've come a long way? In 50 years. I want to ask you seriously. Do you still think it's just a coincidence? Do you still think that's just... What about the church? Where's the church been in all of this? Well, the church hangs its head in shame. Because your your mainstream churches are one by one endorsing homosexuality and homosexual marriage. This last week, when I was sick at home, I was chatting to my friend in Scotland, Willie Phillip. Um, We were emailing each other. They've pulled the oldest, most grand church in Scotland, in Glasgow, St. George's Tron, has now pulled out of the Church of Scotland because they're allowing men who are practicing homosexuals to be ministers in the church. In 50 years, folks, Here's the question. Why? Why has this happened? What happened in 50 years? Did we get clever? Did somebody read something? Someone discover something? What happened? And the answer is this. Because marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Satan, if he's going to blind people from the good news of Jesus Christ... He's got to undermine the Bible and he's got to undermine marriage. Because the Bible and marriage, when properly handled, are both a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore he has to undermine both. See, marriage is not about you and your personal fulfillment. I'm sorry. Marriage is about God. And His glory on earth and His purposes on earth. Yes, you will be personally fulfilled. Yes, profound joy is to be found in marriage. But only as you first understand that marriage is first and foremost about God and about His glory and His purposes on earth. Which is why Satan hates it so much. Which is why us, Selfish, fallen, self-centered, proud, egotistical sinners find marriage so difficult and such a turn-off. And that's why, it's the same reason why us, selfish, fallen, self-centered, proud, egotistical sinners find the gospel so difficult to live by. For the same reason. So this morning, I want to show you that marriage is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's how we are to conduct our marriages. Look with me at verse 31 and 32 of chapter 5. Therefore, these words are timeless. They come from the beginning of the Bible. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery (coughs) is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Can you see that? Marriage, husbands and wives, are all about Christ and the church. It's a mystery. But a mystery doesn't mean something that you can't hear. It's not a secret and I'm not going to tell you. A mystery in the New Testament is something you could not have known unless it was revealed to you. And Paul is revealing it to you. And he's telling you that marriage is all about Christ and his church. Look at what it says. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What's that? That's diversity coming together as a unity. And that's what the whole book of Ephesians is about. Do you remember the whole book of Ephesians? Come back to chapter 1. If you're a visitor... We've been working through this book for months now. We've only got three more talks to go. And we finished the book of Ephesians. 
But come back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 9 and 10. Making known to us, God makes known to us, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, makes known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven, things on earth. The plan and purpose of God is to take all the diverse elements of the universe, bring them together and unite them under and in Jesus Christ. And marriage fits into that picture. Because you have a man and a woman coming together, being united in and under Jesus Christ. Marriage is a picture of Jesus and his church. And just as Jesus and his people are united together, so a husband and wife are united together. Therefore, marriage must be modelled on the gospel and on Jesus and his relationship with the church. And so here's the marriage formula. Are you ready for it? It's so easy. This is the marriage formula. The gospel formula for marriage is this. Number one, husbands must be to their wives as Christ is to the church. Two, wives must be to their husbands as the church is to Christ. It's profoundly simple, isn't it? Profoundly simple. This is what the Bible tells us. And obviously, if you don't understand the gospel, and you don't understand Christ and the church, how will you ever know how to conduct your marriage? Now, what we want to do for the remainder of our time is unpack that formula. Husbands must be to their wives as Christ is to the church. Wives must be to their husbands as the church is to Christ. And what we want to do is unpack that formula. And the first thing we'll notice, just got two things, is that the husband is the head of his wife. And the wife must submit to her husband. That's the first thing how this formula teaches us about marriage. So come with me to chapter 5, look verse 22. <clears throat> I find if people are listening, we've got to figure out a way of getting these PowerPoints up online because people, a lot of people listen online and I'm scared if you don't see the PowerPoint. <clears throat> you don't see the point. Have a look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Very clearly, I mean, I don't know how to make this more clear. The word of God here contradicts the word of the world. Here's where society's word, the word of the world, and the word of God clash headlong. You will have to be a grown-up and take your pick. Which one will you go with? But according to the Bible, the roles for husbands and wives are not interchangeable. They're not negotiable. Does this mean that husbands and wives are not equal? Is that what we're saying? Husbands and wives are not equal. No, that's a, that's a, a legal myth that we accept in Western society. The Bible is very clear that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Bible is emphatic, which in the period in which this was written, these words are phenomenal. Plato, the philosopher Plato, whose thinking governed this first century when these things were written, Plato said that women are a little bit above animals, but a lot below men and angels. Society genuinely believed that men and women were not equal. It was Christianity and the Bible that came along and said things like this. No, men and women are absolutely equal. And notice the one in Christ Jesus. So there's the unity that happens in Christ Jesus. Men and women are absolutely equal. But they're not the same. They're different. 
They're different. It's a diverse unity. Which is exactly how God is. God is a diverse unity. And within God there are roles. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the Son submits to the Father. The Son obeys the Father. Yet He is equal in every respect to the Father. If you don't understand the Trinity, you won't understand marriage. Because though the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are equally God, yet there are different roles. One of authority, one of submission. If this verse, and many people use this verse, if this verse was saying, therefore, men, women, exactly the same, the roles in marriage come in, if that was true, this verse would endorse homosexuality. There's no male and female. So I can have sex with whoever I want to. I can marry whoever I want to. But that can't be what the Bible's saying. It's not abolishing differences. It's saying we're equal, just complementary. Now, here is a definition of marriage for you. <clears throat> this, I think, is helpful. Have a look at it. Marriage is the lifelong partnership of two spiritually equal persons in which the man bears the responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction, and the woman voluntarily places herself under the husband's authority as delegated by God. I come from the 20s, don't I? No, I come from the Bible. That's what the Bible says marriage is, and it's not less than that. That is what marriage is. It's the lifelong partnership of two spiritually equal persons in which the man bears the responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction and the woman voluntarily places herself under the husband's authority as delegated by God. And that's what Paul says. Let me read it to you again. Verse 22 and 23 and 24. Wives, submit your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. By the way, all headship, all headship, all authority in Christianity is this. It's a responsibility to lead people in a God-glorifying direction. That's what the elders are. The reason the elders, we have elders in our church is because they are, have authority. They've got a God-given responsibility to lead the church in a God-glorifying direction. Practically, practically, what does this look like? So, I'm suggesting to you the husband is the head of his wife, that that is true, that is what God says. I'm suggesting to you the wife must submit to her husband. I want to explore that practically. What does that look like? Well, first of all, I'm going to talk to the husbands. The husband exercises self-denying love that seeks the spiritual good of the wife. The husband exercises self-denying love that seeks the spiritual good of the wife. Look at verse 25 to verse 30. <clears throat> husbands. Husbands. Are you all listening, husbands? Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. I love the sentence. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. <clears throat> God has given man, the husband, authority over his wife. And what the husband must do is take that authority and Everything, absolutely everything he does, every decision he makes, is for her spiritual good. Everything the man does is for her betterment. It doesn't matter what it costs the man. 
Men, husbands, it's not about you. Husbands, when she walked up that aisle wearing a parachute, that was the end of your life. From, from that moment on, it's not about you, husbands. It's about her. Husbands, every, every decision you make, everything you do is for to make your wife spiritually how do you do it? By self-sacrificial love. Self-putting down. Self-denying. I come second, you come first kind of love. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Look at it again. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me try and paint you a picture of what Jesus did. One day, Jesus, the Son of God, sat on a throne in heaven in splendor and glory and life was good. Angels worshipped him. He was adored and worshipped in incredible, stupendous glory with the Father in the angels. He was in the company of his Father enjoying internal, eternal, sweet fellowship with the Father. And then he looked down. And what did the Son of God see? The Son of God saw humanity. And what did he see? A gorgeous, beautiful people. No, he looked down and he saw a mess. An absolute mess. A horrible, deformed and perverted mess. In fact, you know what the Bible says, and Jill read it to us earlier. He saw a prostitute. That's what he saw. He saw an ugly, naked prostitute covered in sores and diseases. Raped by the nations. Senseless, stupid and wandering. Don't think this is the preacher's rhetoric. I'm trying to get all colour. I'm telling you what the book of Hosea says. In fact, I can't tell you what the book of Hosea says because there's children. It's worse. But the language of the Bible is graphic that the Son of God looked upon humanity and he saw the worst imaginable perversion. What did he do? He gave away everything. He gave away everything to come and fetch his bride. He stood up got up off his throne. I mean, I'm, what, what are the angels? Oh, there goes Jesus. Oh, he's off to make another universe. I mean, what were they thinking when Jesus stood up off his throne, denied himself, emptied himself of all his glory, not his divinity, his glory, and was born in an animal feeding trough and ended up growing up, being humiliated, his reputation blown. He was called a friend of sinners. You know Jesus hung around with prostitutes. What a picture of him and the church. And he ended up being humiliated, spat upon, naked and tortured to death. He gave everything up. Why? For his bride. And look at the result. Look at why he did it. Verse 26. So that... He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's the point. He gave himself up to purify his bride, to make her gorgeous, to make her spotless, to make her without spot, without wrinkle. Girls, here is beauty therapy. Right here. The Son of God loved His church and made her beautiful. Jesus did not love us because we're beautiful. Jesus loved us to make us beautiful. This is the message of the Gospel. Do you know religion's different? 
Religion says make yourself beautiful for God. Put makeup on. Wash yourself. Put nice clothes on. Get dressed for success. Watch your diet. Watch your figure. Make yourself gorgeous for God. Do all the right things. The Christian gospel comes to you and says you're ugly. You can't get pretty. You could put makeup on with spades. It's not going to help. There's nothing you can do. What the Christian message says to you is, let God's love wash you. Let Christ's love for you make you beautiful. Let His love for you make you clean. Take your dirt away. Wash your wrinkles and spots away. You ought to feel the cleansing love of Jesus that makes you radiant and spotless. Ladies, forget the chump next to you. Here is God's man for your life. Here is the man who will love you to make you more and more <coughs> beautiful. That's the gospel. Now, husbands, husbands, that's the way. That's the way and no other way. That's the way you are to love your when the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, it does not mean feel something. It means do something. Do whatever it takes to make your wife more and more beautiful by loving her. Let me get very practical. Let me run through a couple of examples. Decisions. Husbands, you are the boss. Husbands, you are the boss. Your decision goes. That's what the Bible says. Don't let her make the decisions. Don't put that pressure on her. Stop being a wuss. Be a man. But in every decision you make, every decision you make, is it for her good? Is it for her betterment? Are you leading her to Christ? Darling, I want you to go to prayer meeting tonight because it's good for you. I'll do the dishes you go to prayer meeting. What's your first job as a husband? Your first job as a husband is to prepare your wife for her real husband who got there before you. When I married Naomi, she was already in a relationship. Jesus had got there first. My job is to prepare her, make her beautiful. Through my authority, through my leadership, lead her in a God-glorifying direction so that she will be before Him one day. At cost to myself. Let me talk to you husbands. Your work. How does your work benefit the spiritual good of your wife? If you get home too tired, if you get home too tired from your work, you need to be a postie. You need to change your job. If your work is not benefiting your wife's spiritual, oh, I know, tons of cash. You're earning too much. Where you live, husbands, the decision, darling, we're going to live there or there. How do you make that decision? You think, where we live, ah, oh, but this one's got a swimming pool. Or, how will this benefit my wife spiritually? The children. Husbands, who disciplines the children? Darlings, sort out the kids. Is that what you do? How do you discipline your children so that your wife grows? What about your words? The things you say, do your words build up your wife or do they break her down? I didn't ask if you're right or wrong because if you're a husband, chances are you're right. You're always right. But it's not about being right. It's about building her up. Men, let me really put the knife in you. And I'm speaking to myself. Men, I'm speaking to all of us. When you think of your wife, are you ever tempted to think she's a bit disappointing? You know you could have done better. Eh? If that's what you think, you're not loving her enough. And woman, vice versa, if you're sitting here this morning feeling that you let your husbands down, you disappoint your husbands. You know, 
if he had married that, that other girl, he would have done so much better. If that's what you feel, women, shame on you husbands. You're not loving your wife. If you're sitting here, husbands, and you're thinking, if she will change this, I will love her more. If that's what you're thinking, you're being a girl, not a man. Because girls are reactive. Men are active. The man takes the lead. Even the act of sex teaches us this. The man is the active one in the relationship. It's the man who must love his wife. Not react. When you do that, I shall love you. You know what I often say? If you don't like your wife, change her. By self-denying love. It's what every woman wants. It's what every woman needs. Women crave that kind of headship. Men, get off the couch, switch off the TV, throw the Xbox away and serve your wife. That's what the Bible means. That's what Christ did for us. Self-denying love that leads to a woman getting more and more and more beautiful. We don't love our wives because they're beautiful. We love them to make them beautiful. Much shorter because I'm not authorized to speak on this. Let me talk to the wives. Lastly, the wife must obey and respect her husband. The Bible is so clear. Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, you are to submit to this kind of loving, self-denying headship. I know it can be hard. I know you might disagree with him. By the way, if you disagree with him, will you tell him he loves you? He honors you. He wants to know what you think in everything. But he will decide and you must obey his decision. What happens if he's wrong? Well, first of all, how do you know he's wrong? Don't be so confident. But anyway, let's assume he is wrong. Submit to Jesus Christ in everything. Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything? In everything? In everything. In everything. Wives, obey your husbands the way we, the church, obeys Jesus Christ. And it's not just obedience. It's respect. Look at verse 33. However, this is kind of like a summary sentence. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Folks, I mean, how contrary... Where is this This must be a very old book. <coughs> you know, in the mass media, men are constantly being lampooned as buffoons and idiots. I was watching the rugby, um, the Australia and Wales. Have you seen that sports bet ad? Have you seen it? With that fool who's always poking a bikini or uh, something. It's just, you just look at that and you think men are constantly lampooned in the media as mindless morons. But the Bible says, women, wives, respect your husbands. Wives, don't interrupt your husbands. Don't interrupt your husbands. Don't argue with your husbands (coughs) in public. Defer to your husbands. Don't belittle your husbands. Don't nag them. Show respect. Gee, Dwayne, are you serious? Telling you what the Bible says. Don't speak for him. Do you know there are wives who speak well, fast, fluid? The husbands don't speak so well. They take a while. The most annoying thing is when a wife starts to speak for her husband. I don't think that's respecting your husband. I don't think it's honoring him. Defer to him. That's what the Bible means. Show respect. Happily follow his decision and his lead. Because that's how the church submits to Christ. Let me close with four quick 
last comments. Four last quick comments. Number one. This is a Christian ethic for husbands and wives. This is not male chauvinism. It's not talking about men and women in general. Women do not have to submit to men. It's wives submit to your own husbands. This is an ethic for marriage, for husbands and wives. It's not talking about males and females. Our Prime Minister is a woman, Julia Gillard. I'm a married man. The Bible says that I must show her honor, respect, and obey. If I meet Julia Gillard, I am to show her the utmost respect and obedience because I submit to the authorities above me. This is not male chauvinism. It's about husbands and wives. It's the same at work. If you've got a female boss, you are to obey and honor her if you're a man. Therefore, women, women, single girls, marry someone you can submit to. Don't make this hard. Listen, I know he's cute and cuddly and he's giggly and handsome. But if he's not a leader and if you are stronger and more assertive and clever or whatever, maybe marry someone else because it's going to be hard. Marry a man you can submit to. By the way, none of you women have to submit to anyone. Just don't get married. Men? Men. And there's not many. I'm looking at Eric. Only Eric's there. Who else is there? If you're a young gun, don't marry a woman who can't submit to you. If she's strong, assertive, interrupty, opinionated, too much to say about your family and everything about you, I don't care how gorgeous she is, don't marry her. She's going to make it very hard. If you are married, it's too late. (laughs) Repent and change. Thirdly, I'm nearly finished. Two more points. I want to say this emphatically, that woman's submission to the husband is voluntary. Women are to submit to self-sacrificial, loving authority, not self-serving Abuse. Nothing in the Bible says that a woman must submit to abuse. Nothing. Men. Men. You can't force or make your wife submit. Man, the day that you say to your wife, oh, listen to this, it says here, husbands submit to your, I mean, wives, the day you do that, you're out of line. Submission is by nature and by definition voluntary. You can't force your wife to submit in any way. You cannot throw a coffee cup against the wall, which is an act of physical aggression. You can't do it. She must submit voluntarily. She must freely choose to do so. So I, I guess you better send her to prayer meeting. I guess you better pray for her that God the Spirit works in her. Fourthly and lastly, Dwayne, what about verse 21? Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Doesn't that contradict everything? Because actually, you've just taken verse 22 because it suits you because you're a a South African misogynist male from the 20s. Um, Whereas in fact, verse 21 tells us we all just submit to each other. Folks, if you come across that kind of thinking, it's so wrong-headed. Do you think Paul is as stupid as to contradict himself in two verses, in verse 21 and 22? No. What he means in 21, the word there, alelus, submitting to one another, means submit to those to whom it is appropriate to submit to. All of you submit to who it is appropriate to submit to. That's why, did you know in verse 22, the word submit is actually not there. Verse 22 says this, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit's not even there. Because he's carrying on the sentence from verse 21. All of you submit to somebody, wives to your husbands, the church to Christ, in chapter 6, verse 1, children to parents, which Matt will deal with next week, and uh, verse 5 of chapter 6, slaves to your earthly masters. You know, let me close. I began talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan trying to blind the world. Folks, imagine if Kingsley Community Church 
if down to earth church, if north coast church, imagine if our churches not only held out the gospel of Jesus Christ, but had marriages like this. Wouldn't we stick out like a pimple on the nose? And joy is on offer. You see, ladies, you can refuse this if you want to. You can fight for your rights. You go, girl. And all you're going to get is a lazy husband. I'm going to tell you all a secret. I'm closing with this. Girls, guys, put your fingers in your ears. Girls, men are lazy. They don't want to do this. They don't want to be the head of anything. They want to come home, grab a beer, watch the TV, and you be the head, darling. Men just want to go kite surfing. That's all they want to do. They just want to play. If you want to be the head, ladies, you will find a willing man and you will be the worse off. This is what God says for husbands and wives. Don't let your men off so easily. Right, I've gone on very long because I'm married, so this involves me. Who's got a question or a comment? And then we'll close. I've got two books to recommend to you, but I'll wait for any questions or comments. No one getting divorced? Eric? Why is the church buying into the secular message? Two reasons I can think of. One, it doesn't know the Bible. But the church doesn't know the Bible. And where there's a lack of the Bible in churches, there will be a lack of the wherewithal to critically engage society. If you don't have the shrapnel, the arsenal of God's word, you'll just fall for what the world says because you've got nothing to bounce it off, number one. Number two, because let's face it, the world's message suits me more. I would rather men were equal, uh, women were equals. The woman's lib is the best thing that happened to men. Can't the woman see that? Woman's lib is the best thing that happened to men because it lets them off scot-free. Right, so we're equal, are we? Cool. You see who's left holding the baby. I don't have to look after you. We're equal. You do your job, I'll do mine. You fight in your world, I'll fight in mine. This partnership, when you live with someone and you're not married, woman, you're a sucker. You're a sucker. Because he's got it all. He'll leave you like that. He's got nothing. We're equals. I owe you nothing. So what I'm saying to you is that this world's message suits me. This cuts me. I even use the word cut surfing. Cuts me deep. Sure. Which I know you know as well. <laughs> All right. Okay, Jackie. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, listen, if you don't get the church email please will you come and give me your email address because about three, four weeks ago I attached a whole link in it, everything. We support the Australian Christian lobby and they, we're not clever, they know what they're doing. We just get on their bandwagon. And I hope you've all filled in the petitions. You ought to have, but I have. I know many of you have, for sure. Definitely, Jackie. Right, we do need to close on that point. Um, I'm going to hand over to John who's going to pray for us. And decide if there's time for a last song. It's up to you.